Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. At the end of the day, nothing matters except between people. If you're not getting people excited about what you're doing, then you're wasting your time. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Today is episode 121 and we are tracking along here in October, having a lot of fun and learning a ton with the recent guests on Suncast. Today's conversation is with another power hitter who's built a sustainable and growing business out of what she loves to do. Lisa Ann and I became friends at SPI 2017, and it was a true joy to finally get a full interview with her to discuss how she transitioned from a radio career to a clean tech marketing maven. We're cranking through season three here of Suncast, and I'm stoked to have noticed this morning that we're going to definitely hit 75,000 all-time downloads this week. That's fantastic. Thank you for helping us hit yet another amazing milestone. You can find more great founders, stories, and solar startup advice in over 100 amazing episodes archived over at mysuncast.com. While you're there, check out the Suncast Tribe, where you can be part of my inner circle of solar warriors and trusted advisors. Just click on the member button where you can learn more. And now, get ready to tune up your skills, solar warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. All right, Solar Warriors, today is going to be a fun one. How do I know that? Because when I first met today's guest, it was still to this day one of my most fun memories and recollections of Solar Power International, her energy, her vibrance, the way that she shows up in her work, as well as her play is infectious. I've never done this before, and if I have, I don't remember. Because she is a communications professional, I'm compelled to read for you her bio. I'll try to put my own inflection on it, but here we go. From the newsroom to the boardroom, Lisa Ann Pinkerton has used her keen analytical skills to share clean tech stories with the world for nearly two decades. Most recently, she was named a woman of influence by the Silicon Valley Business Journal for 2017. Lisa Ann is founder and president of Technica Communications, founder and chairwoman of Women in Clean Tech and Sustainability, and co-founder of the Global Clean Tech Cluster Association an international speaker and moderator and documentary filmmaker. And you probably will recognize her voice because she also had a cameo appearance on our recent SPI episode. Lisa and thank you for coming back to Suncast. No, oh, thanks, Nico. Great to be here. I apologize for lavishing so much praise on you this quickly, but I appreciate the work that you do. And I'm super looking forward to this interview. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, let's do it. I'm excited. Look, for those who aren't familiar, and obviously I just gave a little bit of a bio of what you do now, could you give us a little bit of insight? Tell me about your first foray into solar power or clean tech. You obviously have a penchant for clean tech and, <laughs> and, you, and you like this sector. Like, how'd you get into this? How'd you know that this is where you wanted to really focus your energy and career? You know, like anything, it kind of these 
these moments happen in your life that accumulate to a tipping point, right? So I'd always been an environmentalist as a kid and uh, going to Earth Day events and my parents teaching us about going camping and leave no trace and all these great things. Around uh, college, I started noticing that certain people on my street didn't recycle. And so I started helping them understand how easy it was, right? Mm -hmm. And that's when I was like, you know what? This is, I really like this. This is where my passion is. I want to keep doing this. And I, um, through happenstance, ended up meeting a woman who ran a news magazine for the local NPR station in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania called the Allegheny Front. And it's still going on, still stellar award-winning journalism happening over there. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea was let's cover environmental issues, but also just the fun people have being out in nature. Because if you can feel excited about being in nature, you're more likely to want to protect it. And so that's how I got my start in the environmental world, covering um, those issues And my first foray into solar was when I was at an NPR station in Cleveland, Ohio, and a solar power conference came through in 2007, and I covered it. And I was like, this is really cool. It was a tiny little exhibit hall, you know, they had solar cookers and um, just a few panels on display. It was really early days, Uh, but everybody there was so passionate. And we're not just talking, you know, the old, old timer hippies, like the, there were new techie guys there. And it was a really cool mix of people and everybody was so passionate. And it was around then that I decided like, this is not only this is what I want to be doing for my career in reporting, but that companies need a lot more support than just one story on NPR. Mm. So how can I do more? And that's how I moved into the public relations world. It explains a little bit what I hear, not only now on our call, but in person, what sounds to me like a very trained voice. Do you get specific training at NPR on how to engage with the public? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yep. It starts with your writing. So a lot of people, when they write professionally, will use parenthetical phrases at the beginning of a sentence, and but then the subject is later in the sentence. So the mind has to hold on to that information until it gets till you get to the end of the sentence and then the whole sentence makes sense. Mm-hmm. So you start by writing one thought sentences, very straightforward. And then um, the training is related to deliberate uh, uh, vocalization, <laughs> removing ahs and ums, like you yeah. just heard me say. <laughs> and then, I'm not um, going to point that out. <laughs> <laughs> and then punching certain phrases and they train you like you are a an announcer at a monster truck rally to like really overemphasize. Can you give me an example? <laughs> well, you know how monster truck rallies are. Like the advertisements are like, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> we'll sell you the whole seat, but you'll only need the edge. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. Oh, man. I hope that others are laughing as hard as I'm laughing right now. I just love that. Genuinely, you know this about me. I want I'm learning as much as I can about broadcasting because I love this medium. And nobody does it like NPR. And I have a tremendous amount of respect for anyone who has earned a seat at any of the chairs in an NPR studio because it's basically going to an Ivy League school for broadcast. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say that every NPR station nationwide is the same, but it's a culture and mm-hmm. it's a culture of importance and it's a culture of accuracy. And Absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah. Absolutely. So with that in mind, how do you, Lisa Ann and Technica Communications, your PR firm, how do you stand out in a world of, there's a lot of Me Too marketing in solar. It's a male-dominated, stodgy industry, this energy business that we're trying to disrupt. How do you stand out? What are you bringing in from the NPR world or even just from your own creative, sassy perspective? <laughs> well, definitely we take a journalistic perspective. So at Technica, everyone that works with us has to have worked in a newsroom at some point in their career, even if it was you know, a summer internship at the local TV station. It doesn't matter because once you've worked in a newsroom, you understand how news is created and the value of news and what makes a story valuable to a reporter or an editor in a much more concrete way versus someone who went to communication school and all they've ever done is PR, right? It's very different. So that's number one. Everybody has a journalistic eye. So we know what's going to get a lot of attention from reporters and news outlets and what's not. And so I think one of the things that our clients really appreciate is that I'm straight up with them. I will tell them, yes, I know you feel like this news is important. And yes, we're going to get it out into the world. And this is the type of reaction that I would expect from a journalist. Mm. And it doesn't negate the quality of that news. And typically, getting that news out is, is important for a variety of reasons, not just for getting the news coverage. Clients appreciate that because um, their expectations are managed uh, rather than just being told that they're amazing and the story is going to be amazing. And then, you know, a couple weeks later, oh, sorry, it, it wasn't as amazing as we thought it was going to be. Yeah. Right. I hate letting people down. I would rather undersell and overdeliver. So I feel that there is in our business a bit of a gray area or maybe not. It's, maybe it's not a gray area. There's usually a confusion at the corporate level between the direct correlation of your budget for marketing and PR, uh, which of those two or how they correlate to improve or attract sales. How do you navigate that discussion with your executives as you're onboarding and as you're going through the process of, a, of developing a PR strategy and a communications strategy such that they are able to either disconnect it from their need for an ROI on their marketing budget, or they're able to tie it together. Can you talk to that? Mm -hmm, absolutely. Yeah, there's this, there's that old marketing adage. Uh, I know 50% of my marketing spend works. I just don't know what 50%. Right. And that is still alive and true today. It's always going to be that way. Because to get anybody to pick up the phone and call you or sign on the dotted line, or get to a place where they're willing to have a conversation with you about a sale requires a vast number of touch points to get them to a place where they want to have a conversation with you. And we call that building credibility and building brand recognition. And you do these things with marketing and with PR, because if you're, if you're not um, figuring out what your story is, what emotional culture that you are creating with your brand, you're the community that you're building with your brand, people are not going to be attracted to you as a company. So you're going to have to work harder to get those conversations rolling. From the public relations side of things, if you are not pushing out into the world all the great work you're doing, how is anybody going to ever know about it? Hmm. Right? Honestly, we're in a world where if it doesn't exist on the internet, it doesn't exist. So if you're difficult to find on the internet, 
because you're not doing your marketing, you're not doing your SEO, or you're not doing PR, then when it comes to working with you, you're going to have to work a lot harder at those one-on-one interactions. You're going to have to build all that credibility and do all that education in those one-on-one interactions. And that's frankly a waste of your time. Like customers should come to you pre-educated. They should know who you are, what you stand for, what your products are. They should really know what products they want, what services they want. They should be pre-sold. And that's what marketing and PR together will do for you, right? So you don't have to cold call people anymore if people are calling you. You're making you the most popular person in the room. Like that's the whole goal. There is never going to be a direct correlation between that kind of work and a sale, but you're going to know that it's happening and you're going to know that it works. And if, if somebody's the type of person where they really need like the directness, there are things that we can do. You can use Google um, Link Builder and, and a couple of other things to really show like, look, this press release or this thought leadership article drove people to your website. And then it's the website's job to drive people to the phone or to the contact us page, right? So everything gets a chance to work in concert. Do you work with your customers to help improve those data capture tools, a website being one of the greatest <laughs> examples? <laughs> um, I will to a point, yeah. To amplify that, my, my thought process therefore is like, if you are helping drive traffic into an empty parking lot where a game hasn't, hasn't mm-hmm. been scheduled, then nobody's going to know that the crowd showed up because, you know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I there have been situations where a company wanted to hire us to put out a press release and I told them, I would love to do that for you, but um, you're going to need a new website first. Mm, yeah. Hmm. And by the way, we do that. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, got, <laughs> it's, it's famously the, the, the hug of death, right? When you... <laughs> You know, well, we in, in the in the website building side of the business and the hosting side of the business, they call it the hug of death. When you finally do get that breakthrough and your website crashes because you were using Bluehost for your hosting instead. <laughs> I know, right? You know, one of the things that stands out to me, if I'm not mistaken, you have a client that's been on board with you since like 2013 or maybe longer. 2012, yeah. Holy moly, six yeah. years. I'm not familiar with a company retaining a PR firm that long, at least not in our industry. I'm sure like maybe GE or or Coca-Cola does, but what's the average length of engagement in our industry for PR? So um, what I know, and this number obviously probably could be different depending on what sources you're looking at, Mm. um, is the average length is, is about a year to a year and a half. So is there a particular piece of the industry that you look for that allows you to get longer engagement? Or is it just simply a way that you approach doing business with your clients? Well, I certainly think that our industry expertise gives us a leg up in maintaining Mm -hmm. clients for a long period of time because uh, you don't have to educate us on the industry. We know about it. And we also have, you know, we're talking to the same reporters week in and week out. So um, uh, our connections with people are really strong. So there's really no ramp up time. Some agencies will say that they've got some, you know, expertise because they had like one client in the clean tech space, but Hmm. they didn't have them long enough to build the rapport relationships. And frankly, the more popular this industry gets, the more um, competition there is to to get on the pages of green tech media, utility Mm -hmm. vibe or what have you. The other aspect of it is I think the work that we do, you know, in my humble opinion, very high quality. And that comes from my work at NPR. Like I I wasn't going to turn a story in to my editor at NPR unless it was impeccable. Right. 
in my mind, it was impeccable. Now he's going to rip it apart because he's got a lot more experience <laughs> than me, right. right? And he's going to make it even better. And that's now your job for your team. Yes, I get it. Yeah, it is. So I'm starting to see what you mean in your tagline by putting journalists on your side. I was going to ask, what does that look like in action? Uh, well, that starts with the content that we're creating for you. So the message, right? You may think you know what your message is or your story, but is that really the message? So what are the media conversations that are happening out in the world and how do they match up to what you're doing as a company? What are some elements of the things that you do that we think are going to be attractive to reporters, right? And then, of course, making sure that the press release is written in AP style in a way a reporter can use quite quickly, having really good pitches that reporters are going to be attracted to. At this day and age, reporters actually send me business, hmm. okay? So companies come to them and say, they're looking for PR agency, who should we talk to? And they send them to us. To have a reporter on your side means they get what, you know, what you're doing and they appreciate that you're setting them up for success by providing them with really good content right. that they can use mm -hmm. and also not wasting their time. So then they become your friend and they become your fan. So for certain clients, we have certain reporters that are fans of that company. Mm -hmm. And we know that um, when we have a really good piece of news, they're going to cover it. You know, something occurs to me. I had a client call me before an SPI one year and they said, hey, should we do this free press release that SPI offers? And they had not done any press releases the entire summer. Didn't have anything particularly novel except the fact they were going to be at SPI. And for me, that was a classic example of like, not having a real PR strategy, but mm -hmm. wanting to, showing me the signs like, oh, we really need to figure out our PR strategy. But it was being handled by a person internally that didn't really understand how to do that. And two, it's like the best way to get really good PR and marketing strategy, honestly, is to funnel it out to agencies. That's why the agency model is so effective. Right. Because we're not drinking your Kool-Aid. Mm -hmm. And if you do hire a marketing or PR agency, that all they do is say, yes, that's a great idea. Let's do it. Challenge them to challenge you. You don't want yes men and women. You want people who are going to give it to you straight. I'm glad we're on this topic. How should I interview for a PR firm? So obviously you want to make sure they have domain expertise and not like five years ago, they had a solar client. Like who are their current clients? Mm -hmm. How long have they had those clients and what industries are they in? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's number one. Number two, it's the easy question is to ask, like, you know, what do you think is your most successful campaign? What do you think was your most difficult campaign that you still got exposure for? Because that's going to tell you a lot more about how industrious that team was or um, thinking outside the box, creative, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you want to ask them, like, you know, based on our company, what do you think some um, announcement ideas would be? Right. This is your chance to get as much information out of the agency as possible. You know, how would you make me a thought leader? And listen for those standard responses. So we'll write, go, we'll ghostwrite articles for you and blah, blah, blah. But look for the big ideas. Look for the out-of-the-box ideas. That's going to tell you how much people are thinking creatively and also how much research they did on you. Is there an example of an out-of-the-box idea you've used to land or, or close a client? Well, the thing about the out-of-the-box ideas is that clients never really go for them at the end of the day. because. <laughs> They require a lot of effort and budget. Mm -hmm. um, that's why they're called big ideas. So it's hard for me to know if I landed that client because of the, of the big idea. Right. But I'm always trying to get my clients to do a podcast 
or organize a conference specifically for their industry. These kinds of things where you're building community. At the end of the day, nothing matters except between people. If you're not getting people excited about what you're doing, then you're wasting your time. Yeah, I got a quick question for you. Are you a manager running a solar sales team or an engineering team? Or maybe you're one of the engineers or salespeople on that team and you, like many of my friends, are waiting days on end until the engineering team can get back with a design because they're frankly backlogged and they're the critical path. Hey, look, can we stop the madness already and empower the sales and engineering team with a true productivity and accuracy tool? It's called Helioscope. Now, I could tell you all about how DNVGL report shows reliability to within 1% of their common models. And well-known banks like Wells Fargo accept Helioscope reports in place of PBSYST. But what you really need to know is that system design is no longer in the black box of engineers and CAD drawings. It is speeding up the sales process and quality for thousands of customers. 3D design, rapid proposals, bankable simulations, even one-click sharing through Energy Toolbase. The list goes on. Look, head over to mysuncast.com and click on the Helioscope banner on the homepage. And as a Suncast listener, you'll be given an extra 30 days to your free trial. That's right, 60 free days to see what Helioscope can do for you and your sales team. Helioscope is fast, easy, and bankable. So go ahead, start a free trial. Get 30 days on me. Okay, we're about to roll into the second half of today's episode, but I wanted to quickly offer an invitation. I do try to keep these under an hour, as you know, but I often record way more than that. So I've decided that when the conversation inevitably runs long, like it did recently with Adam James, I'll just post up the extra content into the tribe members area for my inner circle to enjoy. Topics like Adam's thoughts on leaving Tesla, my thoughts reflecting on Suncast after three years, and the rest of Abby Hopper's SPI General session from episode 115. They're all there, and they're ad-free unlike what you're hearing right now. There's even a fancy way to add the feed right into your podcast player of choice. If you'd like to see what it's all about, or if you just want to drop a contribution in my virtual tip jar, you can head over to mysuncast.com forward slash member and learn more. I'll see you in the tribe. Obviously, uh, I I believe that starting a podcast is a good idea, but you mentioned (laughs) starting a conference as well. Uh, And you have a penchant for starting things uh, and, and in particular you focus around clean tech but you started something that I find really really interesting and I think other people do as well I've had folks reach out to me in your sphere of influence after the SPI episode that have even broadened my circle thanks to thanks to your women in clean tech so could you tell me what is WCS well I'm glad you brought it up thank you Nico um <laughs> WCS, Women in Clean Tech and Sustainability. It is a nonprofit professional development uh, organization that I founded back in 2011 when Technica was a couple of years old. And I was, you know, I was, I was doing what you do, pounding the pavement, going to conferences, trying to build my network, right? And I was at these co-ed events where there would be men and women, there'd be like me and five other women in the room. We'd naturally gravitate towards each other. And at the same time, I was going to these Uh, women in business networking events where it was all women. And my experience was vastly different, right? Because men and women network differently. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was like, I want to bring these two things together. And so I started uh, Women in Clean Tech and Sustainability. And we hold monthly events, panels or a networking happy hour or professional development or personal Mm -hmm. development type of workshop 
And every year since uh, 2014, we have been doing WCS Talks, which is a TED-style event. Google is hosting it at their Sunnyvale campus for the fourth year in a row. And that's coming up soon, right? It is. It's on November 3rd. It's always the first Saturday in November, Mm. and it's a full-day conference. We have 20 speakers, 19 women, one token male. (laughs) Who's the the lucky man? Uh, Dave Chen from Equilibrium Capital, and he's going to talk about what the Valley gets wrong about clean tech. And so also for the first time this year, uh, we're doing a pitch competition for women-led startups. Mm -hmm. And it is what we believe to be the first pitch competition for female-led startups in the clean tech and sustainability space in the United States. No one's ever done this before. This is kind of like what um, Plug and Play does, right? This is a chance for folks to come in and connect with the, uh, not just Googles, but the, the, the folks in this space that are looking to invest in, in particular, in, in female-led uh, companies. Yeah, absolutely. we got a panel of judges uh, from the venture capital space. and Do you have Danny and his team from CalSEF coming down? Uh, actually, no. No way. They love investing in female-led organizations. Well, he's a, he's a really – oh, I'll, I'll connect you. Well, <laughs> uh, I'll connect you. He's a, he's a friend, and, and we'll leave this in. He's a friend and, and uh, guest of the show, John Bonanno, just joined as their chief technology – or chief, uh, chief commercial officer, chief – XO, CXO, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'll definitely connect you. They should be there. Danny, John, if you're listening, you should be at this thing. Uh, I'll make sure they get that. Uh, well, that's fascinating. So Women in Clean Tech and Sustainability, this nonprofit, uh, you said something that actually really stands out to me. You said men and women network differently. As a man, mm-hmm. I don't know what that means. Okay. Okay. Well, um, I think it just has to do with the way men and women operate. So women mm-hmm. are coming from, in general, right? Mm-hmm. Women tend to come from a desire to build a relationship and get to know a person first before mm-hmm. they do business with them. So if you're networking all women, you know, we'll spend the entire networking event talking about everything but business. And then if like if I decide I, I like someone, I might ask them, well, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Oh, that sounds really cool. We should go get coffee and we can talk about that. Whereas what my experience has been networking with men in general is that um, men are very uh, focused on, I'm here to only meet CEOs or yeah. whoever my decision maker is, right? So if you're not that person, they give you your, their card, they're out. And very they're transactional. And out. Yep. Very transactional. It's not about the relationship. It's about what they can get. And then they will build the relationship with you when they get coffee. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, we're, we're not painting the, the male species here in a, very, uh, in a very trustworthy light, I'm afraid. But I can't say that I disagree on the whole. Certainly, it's not for every one of you solar warriors out there. And my tribe tends to be those who like to build and deepen relationships. So higher on the emotional IQ scale. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I could see where you're coming from there. I can't fathom, to be honest, like I totally say, I, I can't fathom sitting in a networking event for an hour and not getting to the question. So now how do you put food on the table? It's like one of those core quintessential, I don't know, like machismo type questions that men tend to ask men. Right, um, right. Well, it's because men are providers. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's, a, it's a natural instinct to want to provide and you can connect with other men that way. Well, how yeah. do you provide, right? Uh, it's a, yeah, it is. It is. Like, well, what weapon do you use, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, listen, I think it's a great way for us to segue to a segment I call Hot or Hype. For those of you who understand and listen to the show, this is a segment where I talk about a specific topic and you spend 30, 60 seconds on whether or not you think it's hot 
or hype and why. We'll start with microgrids. Microgrids have been fabled as becoming uh, as the, the 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 beginning of our industry, and uh, many have said that they're going to we're going to return to microgrids as the core part of the grid. Is that hot or hype? I think it's hot. Mm. The human species at the end of the day enjoys as much self-reliance and independence as it possibly can get. And so microgrids are a vehicle towards that resiliency. And as climate change uh, brings us more and more, you know, once in 500 year storms, the more control people can have over their energy and how they use it, the better off they're going to be in the long run. Now, you might not see this from people on the residential side of things, but definitely on the business side of things. What we're seeing, especially all across the country, you know, businesses, they can't, they can't survive, you know, their power being down for more than a day or two, right? And in some cases, some places around the country, you know, it's down for a week. Like that's absolutely unacceptable for a business. So they're going to start creating um, their own systems mm-hmm. and eventually you'll see them microgridding with their neighbors. Like why not? Right. Yeah. You know, the whole notion of transactive energy. I see it. No, I, I see that happening. And I want to commend you because of all the answers of this question, uh, many solar warriors out there would know, few, if any, have said that they think it's hot because C and I and many sort of tangential areas of grid defection. Many point to developing nations, the Caribbean, et cetera. But I can't say I disagree with you on this one and where C and I is concerned in the US. I believe that as technology has been catching up, yeah, mm-hmm. probably every energy manager out there in his mind is thinking about his own microgrid and how he can build in resiliency and stabilize it. And then therefore how he can interact with others in the, in the immediate area. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. Let's move to the next one. Uh, we could dwell on any of these for a five to yeah. 10 minute episode themselves. So I have an electric car you might have an electric car. A lot of us are seeing e-mobility rise. Tell me, do you feel like the nexus of distributed energy and e-mobility is hot or hype? How close are we to vehicle-to-grid integration? Oh, well, if you're talking about vehicle-to-grid integration, I mean, some companies define that differently. Uh, But I would say vehicle-to-grid integration specifically, it's tough because I have some customers who would say it's hot. But personally, I think it's a little bit of hype simply because utilities are quite reticent to allowing that two-way flow of energy, Mm. right? So until we can get utilities comfortable with allowing energy to flow back into the grid, I think it's going to be, it's, it's going to continue to be hype. Now, if you're talking about vehicle to grid integration related to communications and allowing utilities to aggregate electric vehicle loads like eMotorworks is doing or aggregating um, storage assets, right? Like, like STEM or Axiom, Exergy then that is hot. Like that's happening today. Lisa Ann Pinkerton, I love how fluent you are in what's happening in our industry. That is a, <laughs> that's a great answer. Sorry to be biased here, but that's, uh, <laughs> I, I like that you actually put, brought in why one might think that it's hot. Thank you. Yeah, I am particularly referring to electron transfer uh, and not necessarily grid control. Mm-hmm. And I would say in, through the lens that you just couched it, I would tend to agree with you. Moving on to the next topic. We'll state this one very simply, hot or hype, blockchain relating to the energy sector. 
Oh, wow. Well, so at the current moment, hype, because until citizens of the state of California, at the very least, if not other states, get together and demand that their government allow utilities to allow transactional mm-hmm. energy, uh, we're not going to see it. It is illegal in California for you uh-huh. to sell energy to your neighbor. Yeah. And so for you, blockchain only really serves as a backbone for transactive energy. There's not any other applications. Oh, oh well, I mean, yeah. So that's, I was talking specifically around blockchain energy and the sale mm-hmm. of energy. Okay. I think blockchain technology um, as a platform, I'd say cool. it's still kind of early days though. Mm, still hype. Yeah. yeah. Still hype. Yeah. Absolutely. There's a lot of different ways to look at blockchain as it relates to energy. Lisa Ann says it is still hype. Okay, Lisa Ann, I think this is uh, an area where I expect that you have a strong opinion. Hot or hype content marketing for the solar industry as the path forward? Oh, hot. Very mm-hmm. hot. Here's the thing. From the way I, the way I see it, the way um, journalism is going and especially in the clean tech space, sustainability space, if companies don't start advertising in these outlets, they're going to disappear. So they're going to have to create their own content and they're Mm going to have to become their own news outlet because there won't be any independent news outlets left. Mm -hmm. And I'm very serious about that. I know of very specific news outlets in our industry that are shrinking Mm -hmm. because nobody's advertising, right? So content marketing is only going to become more important. And eventually, I predict 10, 20 years, you're going to have these big companies will have a dedicated newsroom that is churning out news about them, but about the industry. Hmm. Because the news industry has been struggling since the internet came about, and they still really haven't figured out their business models in some cases. But, you know, content marketing for content marketing's sake is not going to um, put wind in your sales. The quality of your content is always going to be king. And it's not about selling you and your services or your products. It's about furthering the industry. Mm. It's about pushing us all forward in a certain direction. It's about providing value in any way that you can create content, provide that value, education, connecting the dots, establishing trends, things that help everyone in the industry, not just you. And when you do that and you do it well, it's like all eyes turn on you. Because you become the most popular person in the room because you're giving people news they can use. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, you know, everybody wants to be your friend. How do you see people misunderstanding or messing up their PR strategy? Two things. It's when um, the marketing team decides that in each quarter, they're going to focus on a specific um, type of topic or content. Mm-hmm. And they try to force press releases and media conversations to fit within that predefined area. News is fluid. And so you want to be current with whatever's happening, right? And if the, the marketing plan doesn't align with that, it can cause challenges, mm. number one. Number two, it's thinking that any piece of news that you have coming out of your company um, is going to be something that the rest of the world cares about. Mm-hmm. Not always the case. And it's important to have a variety of those things, right? So if you have too many like big pieces of news, you're going to wear people out, right? (laughs) But if you have too many small pieces of news, you're not going to seem relevant. And so you want to have a variety of those and you want to space them out so that you can give reporters the rest. Hmm. You don't want to be hitting them up every two weeks, right? People are going to stop listening 
after a while. Where do you look for inspiration to provide insight in our industry? Do you go outside of our industry? How do you get inspired? Well, if you haven't guessed already, I'm like really big on people. So I love reading the comments sections of articles. I love Reddit for mm. that reason. Okay. And so I go to those areas quite frequently to figure out like, okay, this is what the reporter thinks, but what does everybody else think? That was my secret sauce when I was a reporter at NPR. That's how I got all my stories mm. is I read the comments section because that's what people really cared about, right? They cared enough to comment. That's really insightful. And so putting those dots together as well. So, you know, there can be a story about one particular topic, say it's blockchain or whatever. Okay, that's fine. But then people in the comments are going to put all the pieces together for you. They're going to bring mm. in other ideas. They're going to, you know, they're going to give you a fuller context. But also just talking to people, asking them, well, what do you think, you know, what do you think the industry is missing? Or what are we getting wrong? Mm. When you ask those questions of people, they will give you very honest answers. And you can typically use that information in your content marketing because at the, you know, you want to educate people, right? What issues do you see our industry leaders facing and how are you helping your clients think through them? There's still a lot of uh, traditional thought processes that go into marketing and PR. So, hey, we just landed this deal. We have to announce it. Okay, mm -hmm. great. It's going to be huge. Really? Why do you think, why do you think a reporter is going to care about this? Mm, because right. it's the fifth announcement of the same type that you've made in the past month, right? How are you furthering the industry? That's why I always go back to, how are you improving the industry? An example is eMotorWorks is one of our clients. And so I'll use them as an example. So they have this ability to aggregate fleets of electric vehicle chargers so that the grid doesn't become overloaded at any one time and utilities can control this. And then drivers get a reward for participating in such demand response activities. I asked them at one point, like, can we get a, a, like a graph or can we show the industry like how much energy reserves does a utility have based on all of the chargers that we have in California? And, you know, we've done a lot of customer announcements and that kind of thing. It's all great, but it's starting to sound, you know, the same. We need to then, now we've shown that we've told everybody we can do this. Now we need to prove to them that we are doing it, right? That's how you further the industry. Wow. You give real results and don't be afraid of your numbers because it, do it doesn't matter what your numbers are. If you feel like they're too small, if nobody else is doing what you're doing, then they're the biggest numbers out there. I came up with that idea in January. It took the company until September to get to a place where they felt comfortable. Let's turn the corner here towards reflection a little bit. You've had some time now, founded this in 2009. You've been working with a lot of customers over the last almost decade. What are some key takeaways for you, for maybe from your experience, maybe from the mentors who've influenced how you've developed your career? What are some key things that you would share with the Suncast audience? The first thing I'll share is the first piece of advice I ever got from someone at NPR. He was the host of, of my, uh, my, my radio show, The Allegheny Front. His name was Matthew Craig. And he said, because I would always struggle with if, if a story idea that I came up with was good, right? I had a confidence mm -hmm. problem. And he'd be like, well, are you interested in it? I'm like, yeah, this is really interesting to me. I think this is cool. He's like, great. People, other people will think so too. And that really resonated with me. And that I've carried that all along the way. That's why I founded Women in Clean Tech and Sustainability. Did I think it would be cool? Yeah. Would I go to that? Yes. Okay, mm. great. Other people will too. Mm. And so that is one way of um, when you're trying to figure out 
a press release to put together or a piece of thought leadership content or a social media post. Is this good enough, right? Well, if you think it's good enough, then it's good enough. Of course, Julian Adler, my boyfriend always says the only thing that matters is between people. That has always stuck with me and it is the core of any business relationship is, is people and treating people um, with respect and being genuine, being honest. You know, if you make a mistake, admit to it. Don't try to hide it. Just be normal with people. We've talked about you've gone from NPR to PR. What's the most surprising thing for you about dropping the N? <laughs> well, that I never thought I would do it because it's kind of like the dark side. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I remember giving a, I was invited to like be on a PR, a, a reporter panel for some PR people. And I remember telling them, they asked sort of similar question to what you, you asked. Um, and I was like, why should I care? End of story. I was really harsh with these people. Mm. But I was like, look, you have to tell me immediately why I should care in your email or I'm going to stop reading. So that's another tip for people. You yeah. have to tell people why they should care. You have to give them the context. And in today's day and age, with the way media is going faster or more, the context is usually the thing that gets cut. What surprised me most about dropping the N? <laughs> about um, moving from NPR to, <laughs> to PR, for those who haven't caught on to that, sorry. You know, I don't know. I, I think it's that I just didn't expect it as a career move. But uh. I also didn't expect, humbly for me to say this, how good of of an entrepreneur I would end up being. Mm. And now if I look back on my whole career path, I was always an entrepreneur. Mm. I just didn't know it. Right. And, and that's why at Technica, everyone's a contractor because if somebody decides that they know enough and they can go start their own PR agency, great, more power to them. I want more small businesses in this world. Right. How do you cultivate that spirit within Technica or what advice might you give someone else listening to Suncast today who is in the throes of startup life or really trying to decide, do I jump out on my own? Uh, just do it because it's never going to be the right time. Just like having your first child or whenever any other child, it's like mm -hmm. sometimes it's not the right time, but it's never the right time. I've watched mm -hmm. a lot of people be laid off on the solar roller coaster and say that they're going to do consulting and they're going to start a consulting what you know practice, but they're still looking for full-time work. Right. They're not consulting. They're, they're yeah. not consulting. And I guarantee you that consulting agency never going to get off the ground. Other advice is make sure that there is pain related to the problem you are solving. Because if there is no pain, nobody's going to buy. And understand what that emotional pain is. There have been a lot of Companies come and go in this space and other spaces that were a solution for a problem that didn't exist yet. Mm. They were too early. Mm -hmm. So be honest with yourself in that regard. I have a section I call learning, leadership, and legacy. And I know that you're a reader uh, and you love to dig in and learn from others. What book have you gifted the most or perhaps what book have, has had the biggest influence on how you think and, and educate? Wow. Okay. So we, I live in California. Um, so um, I'm going to go a little woo woo on you. Go for it. Uh, Way of the Peaceful Warrior. Mm -hmm. But you know, that story changed how I see the world. So before that story, I was in a sort of a, a victim stance, a fearful stance. Everything was happening to me. I didn't have control. That book opened the door for uh, me to see the world as, you know, I can take accountability for what I can be responsible for mm -hmm. and I'm not going to sweat other people 
and their own victim perpetrator hero complexes. And the only way you can get out of that triangle, right, is to take a step out of it and just be accountable for what you can and move on. Other books that I have really enjoyed are Power Versus Force, and then also The 48 Laws of Power. So I wish somebody would have handed me The 48 Laws of Power when I graduated high school and it was oh, yeah. a lot of pain. That's perfect. I'm glad that you stated it exactly that way. Uh, and nobody has recommended Robert Greene on the show, which blows my mind. But I, too, wish someone had given me that book straight mm-hmm. out of high school. Yeah. So one way, the one way that I have asked this before is, if you could gift yourself a book out of high school or college, what book do you feel like would have had the biggest impact on you? And a lot of this is timing and being ready for the right book. And the message wasn't, you know, you aren't, yeah, you aren't yeah, there. Like I read yeah. The Magic of Thinking Big out of high school. And then when I read it again as a 33-year-old, it blew my brain. Like it totally mm-hmm, blew my mind. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Anyway, the, yeah, Robert Greene, 48 Laws of yeah. Power. Yep. The last book, Power of the Sacred Feminine. Mm, okay. It's, it's, it, it could be challenging for people, but it's, it's really good. It really changed the way I experienced myself as a woman. All right. Let's see. Who wrote The Power of the Sacred Feminine? We're looking it up right now. If you guys haven't figured this out yet, sometimes we edit it out and sometimes we leave it in. But I'm always on the Googles when I'm hearing these book recommendations and I'm throwing them into my Goodreads account because I love to read because <laughs> readers are leaders. Uh, That's I, right. I, I didn't find it. The Power of the Is it The Power of the Divine Feminine? Mm. No. No, there's a lot of books on Divine Feminine. Do you know who wrote it? Uh, I'll have to get back to you on that. Okay, fair enough. We might not get that into the show notes, but we we just may. So so hang in there. Look, hey, listen, there's another thing that I think is actually a, a trademark, a sign of a good leader, and that is consistent habits. So I'd like to know from your perspective, what habit or consistent practice has had the greatest impact on your life? I work from home. Okay. And I run my own business. Mm -hmm. So it is very tempting to keep working. Right. Mm. So at the end of the day, when I'm done, like I have a specific time, you know, between five and seven, I'm allowed to stop working. Right. And when I do, I turn off my computer, I close the lid and I tell myself I'm done for the day and I'm leaving all of this here. How can folks interact with you? I know you're on LinkedIn and Twitter. What's the best way? Like, or what are the ways? What are your socials? Uh, my socials, at uh, Lisa Pinkerton, Twitter. Uh, I'm on Instagram as Lisi Annie. They can go to my website, technicacommunications.com, womencleantechsustainability.org. My phone number is all over the internet because it's on press releases. So if you just type my name, Lisa Ann Pinkerton, you'll find me. Love it. And I'll link, of course, to her. Uh, to her LinkedIn account and her email and her social security. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's end today with a bold prediction. Lisa Ann, what one thing do you see happening in the market that perhaps nobody else is tracking? What's in your crystal ball? Oh, goodness. I knew this question was coming. And um, convergence of the cannabis industry and the sustainability industry. Yeah, I love that you brought that in. It's definitely being tracked, but very informally. (laughs) (laughs) I've got 20 years of customer experience, so (laughs) Perfect, perfect. And she means means that she's been representing folks. That's right, that's right. (laughs) But I mean, you have an industry here that if if people are growing indoors, it's extremely energy intensive. Intensive. That's that's not sustainable at all. Well, you know, apart from that, it's uh, even globally, like my buddy Carlos is working on a business down in Latin America where part of the growing 
process is setting aside a certain number of hectares for solar energy. Mm-hmm. Back to the roots, back to the roots of solar. Hat tip to Jeff Spees and, and the Roots documentary that very, very clearly outlines the connection between the cannabis industry and, and solar. Well, Lisa Ann, as that does evolve, we will be here on Suncast interviewing the leaders who are bringing that transformation about. And I will certainly be following your press releases, heralding their exacting works. Thank you for joining us on Suncast. Thank you for carrying the banner and for shouting from the mountaintops for those who are less capable. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you very much, Nico. It's been great being here. Thank you. All right, Solar Warriors. How are you feeling about this interview? Did you learn something as I did? Technica and Lisa Ann's team are certainly not your average PR agency, and I loved hearing about their journalistic roots and approach. Hey, if you're in the Bay Area, I really highly encourage you to grab a ticket to the WCS Talks happening in a week or so over on the Google campus. Now, I'll link to it on the blog page over at mysuncast.com. And Lisa wants to incentivize you further as a Suncast listener. If you do buy a ticket to WCS Talks, you can use the code SUNCAST for a 25% discount. So go over to mysuncast.com and grab the link to WCS Talks. Use the code SUNCAST for 25% off. And I hope you enjoy it. Wish I could be there. I love the sage advice from Lisa Ann about following your interests and solving people's pain. I'll be tweeting some of my takeaways from the episode and would love to chat with you about your takeaways on Twitter as well as LinkedIn. Would you share it with me? What was your major takeaway? Find me on Twitter at Nico Mayo, N-I-C-O-M-E-O, or on LinkedIn, of course. Both are linked from mysuncast.com. Hey, Alexa, what's the latest episode of the Suncast podcast? (laughs) You know, Alexa can tell you all about which episode is currently going, but if you stay tuned, you'll hear about the next one. Me and my friends from Merm are very happy to be with you at this uh, super program that we really like. And if you're one of the tribe faithful down in Mexico, you probably recognize that voice as none other than Patricia Tato. On next week's Tactical Tuesday, we'll learn how Patricia is taking on the task of uniting and educating the female workforce for clean tech in Latin America in her spare time. You know, the fact that you're still listening tells me you really do love what we're putting down here at Suncast. And if that's true, and if you're wondering how we can connect more and how you can help, would you please consider supporting the podcast by becoming a member of My Solar Tribe? You can do that at mysuncast.com forward slash member. At least you could join the newsletter while you're there, so you won't need to rely on Alexa for knowing when the next episode comes out. I'll tell you all about it in my weekly emails. I look forward to formally welcoming you into the tribe, my friend. And thanks again for showing up. It's half the battle.